Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. Today is VBPH Sunday, where we feature a message that was recently preached from the pulpit of our church here in Virginia Beach, Virginia. You'll hear from Pastor Adam Dragoon and any other visiting preachers who have come through our church. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. Numbers chapter 14. If you join me this morning, Numbers chapter 14. And now we get to the good part, the Word of God. Do you know why the Word of God is the good part? Because you can't know Jesus without knowing the Word of God. Jesus is the Word of God made flesh. And that's why when I preach, I say, open up your Bibles. When we do that, we are getting to know the Word who is made flesh. And I'm praying that God would speak to hearts this morning. Numbers chapter 14. You heard the old argument, maybe, from your mom. If everyone jumped off a bridge, would you follow? And that's pretty good advice. What mom was trying to teach you when she said that was that sometimes to do the right thing, you've got to be different from the rest. Sometimes to do what is right with our lives, many times and most of the time, If we're going to live for God, it means that we're going to have to make different choices than many people around us. Living for God was never meant to be easy. If you ever got that impression or that idea, it was probably from a a prosperity doctrine preacher or from a megachurch that said only Jesus loves you but forgot to tell you that there might be some hard times coming. I'm all about the love and the grace and the mercy of God. Without it, where would we be? 
But there's more to the kingdom of God than just his love. Sometimes love requires discipline. Is that true? That's why God designed a family to have a mother and a father. A mother who represents tender mercies and care and concern. Wiping the snotty nose in the middle of the night, right? And, uh, and tenderly caring. But God also designed a fatherly kind of love, which requires tough love sometimes. Correction, rebuke, chastening even. And we tend to like one more than the other. But the truth is that in life, if we're going to live for him, we're going to have to live different from the world that is around us. Following the majority or simply being in a fish swimming down the stream is rarely the best thing for you. Jesus said, the road to destruction is wide and easy to travel on. You know how to get to hell, right? Just do whatever you want. Just live how you like. And that will be the automatic default destination. If you just follow your own heart, you'll end up in hell. But the road that leads to life, Jesus said, is narrow. And few, say the word few, few will there be that find that road. When we were in Puerto Rico, we were driving across that island, and we were on a few narrow roads, weren't we? We're driving through the mountains, and it's not even two lanes, it's one lane. And it was this way and that way. And that was a difficult road to drive. I had to pay attention. Not only was it difficult to drive on, it was difficult to be a passenger. Am I right? <laughs> and if I had closed my eyes, if I had lost, uh, fell asleep or lost attention, that would have been very bad. Is that correct? And so that narrow road, if we're going to stay on it, that means it's not always easy, not always clear. Not every step is pre-planned. I couldn't see the end of the road from where we were. And so it is following Jesus on this narrow road, there come some twists and turns along the way. Not every day is, is exactly clear what God has for us. Our hope is not in the approval of the majority, but it is the approval of the one. I'm not living for y'all. I'm living for him. Now, if he told me to serve you all, which he did, then that benefits you. But the reason that I'm trying to get to heaven is not just to serve somebody else. It's to serve him. And in the scripture we're going to read, we're going to read about a man. Bible says about him that he had a different spirit. And part of having a different spirit defined here in our scripture means that he followed the Lord fully. And my prayer is that we would capture a piece of that in our lives here today. Let's read Numbers chapter 14 about the servant of God named Caleb, one of my favorite characters in all the Bible. Numbers chapter 14, verse 22. Because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt... And in the wilderness, and it put me to the test now these ten times. They have not heeded my voice. They certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit, say different. He has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully. I will bring into the land where he went, and his descendants shall inherit it. Let's pray. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus. 
God, I'm praying you'd give your spirit, your life, your truth into this service today. Lord, that there would be a different spirit in somebody here this morning. A different spirit to follow you fully, God. Not half-heartedly, not casually. But Lord, to follow your voice and your will, to follow that narrow path. God, the path that leads to life. I'm praying, God, that somebody here would be convicted and would get on that narrow road here this morning. We give you glory for all you're going to do in Jesus' name. God's people said, Amen. Amen. This is a sermon I've titled, A Different Spirit. In order to serve the Lord fully, you're going to have to be different. Maybe another word we could use is weird. If going to hell is normal, I don't want to be normal. I want to be weird. I want to be different. I want to be different than the rest because the righteous, as I mentioned in the Sunday school this morning, the righteous have always been the minority. God has always looked down to a majority of the world and He said this, this small little sliver, this little group, those are my people. Of all the nations of the world, He could have chose anybody, but He chose one man, Abram to make a promise to one man, Abram, and his wife. And out of Abram came Isaac. And out of Isaac came Jacob. And out of Jacob came 12 sons and 12 tribes of Israel. Yes? And because of that promise he made to one man, he made to one nation that came from him. Those are my people, God said. The righteous minority. Still a minority of a minority today. The church in its time when Jesus came and he chose, he didn't choose a thousand. He didn't choose 12,000. He chose 12 disciples. Just 12. And from that minority of a minority, he was able to influence the entire world. Is that true? The righteous have always been a minority and we've got to see ourselves that way because it produces a different way of thinking. We cannot think that we are assumed to be in power because we're not. There is a power in this world that we have to face. There is an enemy of our soul, correct? He seeks to kill, to steal, and destroy. And the Bible tells us that the enemy has authority over this present world system. Not only is there an enemy of our souls, but the world The world which is under His authority, the world and its ways are set against the kingdom of God. The world is not living for God. The world has a different agenda. Social media has a different agenda. Politics have a different agenda. World powers, military, government, whatever it is, those are all world powers and they do not have the same values as the kingdom of God. So... We've got to think differently than all those things. Finally, the last enemy that is set against us is the enemy within. Every one of you has an enemy that lives inside your body. Or rather, it is your body. Your flesh doesn't want to serve God. Is that true? Say yes. Your flesh didn't want to come to church this morning. Your flesh doesn't want to pray. Your flesh doesn't want to read the Bible. Your flesh loves to look at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, on and on it goes. Snapchat. Uh, what's the new one? Anyways, doesn't matter. Uh, they're all, your flesh loves to look at all that stuff. But open up the Bible app. You get bored in 30 seconds. What's up with that? That's your flesh. YouTube. 
TikTok, that was it. Got it. Your flesh loves. Oh, could be all day, hours and hours, never stop. But you bow your head to pray. Lord, I want to ask you. Why? Because your flesh, the inner enemy. And so uh, if we're going to live for God, it's going to require a different spirit in an unfaithful generation. In our scripture, it speaks about all these men. God is speaking through his prophets. And in verse 22, he says, because all these men, all these men, who's he speaking about here? He's speaking about those that he has brought out of Egypt, those that he has done incredible miracles for. Okay, so we're not talking about the world here. We're not talking about the Egyptians. All these men are the ones that God rescued from slavery. These are the Jewish people. That God promised, I'm going to come and I'm going to send a deliverer for you. And through mighty miracles, signs, and wonders, God set them free. They passed through the Red Sea with water, walls of water on both sides. They walked across on dry ground. Incredible miracles. Okay, these are not novices. They, these are not people who haven't seen anything or heard anything about God. These are people who have received miracles. The reason I'm laboring that point is because guess who those are? That's us. He's talking about the people of God. These men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt. Now, I'm not preaching to those that are out there today. I'm preaching to those that are in here. Because guess what? We've seen a few signs and miracles. We've seen God deliver people. We've seen God set us free. We've seen in, in, in our services, we've seen people healed, delivered, set free. We've, seen, uh, we've heard testimonies of people set free from drugs, alcohol, from failed relationships. We have seen the miracles of God. And yet, the majority will not believe. It is natural. It is easy. There is a certain gravity of life and time which leads us to be led into a lack of faith, unbelief. It says in Mark chapter 6, verse 5, that Jesus could do no mighty work there. Did you hear that? Jesus could not do any mighty works there in Nazareth, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed. It says that he marveled because of their unbelief. This was Jesus' hometown, Nazareth. And because the people there knew him, they had watched him grow up. They were familiar with him. They had seen his life. And there, it didn't say that Jesus didn't want to do miracles. It said that he couldn't do miracles there. God forbid that the potter's house in Virginia Beach could ever become the place where Jesus could do no mighty miracles there. It can happen. It can happen in your family. You ever wonder, uh, oh God, I heard a miracle. I heard a good testimony about that family, about that marriage, about those children. How come no miracles for me? How come no miracles in my life? How come no miracles in my finances? Many times it is because of this unbelief. The word unbelief in the Greek is the word apistia. Pistia is the word faith. And you put the, the letter A at the beginning means the opposite of. The opposite of faith. Other, other words, it, it means the lack of trust. Skepticism. 
And it, it comes naturally to us, doesn't it? Yeah, right. Come on. That's, our, that's usually our natural instinct when we hear about something amazing. Unbelief is normal. Unbelief is built into our sinful human nature. But to Jesus, it's crazy. It said in verse 6 that he marveled because of their unbelief. To Jesus, it was unnatural. How could it be that you don't believe in me? It doesn't make sense. I'm Jesus. I'm going around everywhere else and performing many mighty miracles. But here, you can't believe. That's crazy. From a heavenly perspective, your unbelief is absolutely insane. It only makes sense here in a wicked world where the majority does not believe God. That's, what, that's where the people in our scripture have come. They have experienced miracles. They have, they, listen, y'all, these people have been getting food every day from God. They don't have to go out and hunt. They don't have to dig in the ground for vegetables. Every morning they wake up and God has rained down manna outside of their tents. They scoop it up. They eat it. They're well fed for their entire life. Forty years they had food. God, prov- God miraculously provided for them. And even while they wake up in the morning, they go outside and eat what has fallen on the ground for them. They say, I don't believe God. God's never going to move for me. How crazy is that? They have come through the Red Sea. They've seen the miracles that happened in Egypt. They've seen water come out of the rock. But God said about them that they have rejected me. Look at verse 11. Numbers 14, 11. Oh, that's a different chapter. It says, The Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me? How long will they not believe me? With all the signs which I have performed among them? If you ever wondered why it seemed like God doesn't perform miracles today the way that he used to in the Bible, I'll tell you exactly what. This is the reason why. Because the performing of the miracles, the obvious signs and wonders that God did for this generation, which generation saw more miracles than them? None. They were the ones who saw more miracles in more mighty ways than nearly anybody else who has ever lived. But all of the miracles did not add up to their faith. They still rejected God. And if you wonder, if you wonder why God doesn't show himself the same way he used to in the book of Exodus, that's probably why. Because it doesn't produce faith. Unbelief is popular and widespread. I was reading this article about unchurched Americans. We have more unchurched Americans now than at any other time in American history. If unchurched Americans were their own country, it would be the eighth largest nation on earth. That is about 156 million United States adults and children uh, do not attend church. They don't go. That doesn't mean that they're not saved, but that's still a lot of people. Churchless Americans are bigger than Canada, South Korea, Saudi Arabia, South Africa, New Zealand combined. That's a lot of people. And again, it doesn't mean that they're not all saved, but what we're seeing today is a movement away from church. That's the popular movement. The popular movement is toward disbelief instead of belief. 
Again, these are not novices. These are not people who have no experience in Christ. These are people who have seen and they've heard. They've heard good preaching. They've read the Bible. God said about these people, they have seen my glory. They've seen the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness. And they put me to the test ten times and have not heeded my voice. You can, if you want to know what those ten times were, that the people of God who watched God do so many miracles, what were those tests that they put God to? Well, they put God to the test at the Red Sea in Exodus 14, at Marah, the bitter waters in Exodus 15, the wilderness of sin in Exodus 16. Twice, they disbelieved God about manna. At Rephidim in Exodus 17, the golden calf. That was a big one. Exodus 32. At Taborah, then Kibroth. And now, this is the tenth time that here they are complaining against Moses, complaining against God. And just as a side note, God was keeping track of their complaints. He counted them up. Now this tenth time I've been put to the test because of these people that I have delivered. I have set them free. I have done miracles. You know, sooner or later, your disbelief is going to add up to something. It's going somewhere. When we make a conscious decision to not believe God, to not obey God, even after all the miracles, I I want to issue a a, a warning this morning. It's not going nowhere. It's going somewhere. Even those who have experienced the most miracles in their life, you are not you are not exempt from the power of unbelief. It can pull even the even the most faithful soul away from the Lord. When you give your heart over to unbelief, it doesn't matter how many miracles you've seen. It doesn't matter how many good sermons you heard from Pastor Adam. Unbelief can destroy hey Even disciples, even Judas, even Thomas, even Peter. Unbelief is what tore them away from Jesus. Now, thank God it's not the end of the story. You can get your heart right. There'll be more about that at the end. But let's look at the end result of their unbelief. God said about these people, they certainly, say the word certainly, certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. How could that be possible? God, I thought you made us a promise. I thought, Lord, you were a promise keeper. I thought you made a covenant that we would see the land of promise. That promise has conditions attached. God said, yes, I made a promise to the faithful, but not to the unfaithful. And this is the popular movement of their unbelief. The end result of unbelief is they're going to wander through the desert for 40 years and then die. That's pretty tough. But it's real. The end result of your unbelief is a lot of frustration and then going nowhere. And so, my call this morning is to have a different spirit. The gravity of our lives over time and circumstance and chance and we go through things and the result is it tends to pull faith away from us. But we've got to have a different spirit. I find so much courage and strength and enthusiasm. I find so much encouragement when I read about this man, Caleb. Verse 24, God is the one speaking about Caleb. Does God ever speak about you? Does God stick up for you? I hope he does. He'll stick up for the one who has a 
different spirit. My servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him, has followed me fully. I will bring him into the land where he went, and his descendants shall inherit it. In fact, the Bible tells us that there was only two people in that entire generation. We don't know exactly how many, but it could have been millions. It could have been two to three million people that came out of Egypt. And they all died. They all died in the wilderness. They didn't see the promised land, except for two. Caleb and Joshua. They're the only ones who made it in. And the righteous minority, two out of two million, those pretty low odds, right? And when we look at, at what God is doing, I want to tell you the same is true today. That when God is moving, He is moving in a minority. But in that righteous minority, God can do amazing things. Caleb was special because he was different. Let's look at this man, Caleb, and then we're going to close. Seven ways that Caleb was different. First of all, he was a man of vision. Say the word vision. What did Joshua and Caleb see? We know that they were, they were the spies for their tribe. When they went into the promised land, they went to spy out the land and check it out. And, and you know, ten of those spies, they came back with a bad report. Man, it, it is, uh, yeah, there's some good stuff over there, but you know what? Enemies. Giants, walled cities, there's battles waiting before, there's blood that waits to be shed. Oh, I don't know if we can do it. We're like grasshoppers in their eyes. It's scary. We better stay over here. But not Joshua and Caleb. They had a different view. Did they see anything different than the rest of the spies? No, they all saw the same things. They all saw the same enemies. They all saw the same cities. They all saw the same giants. They all saw the same blessings too. But Joshua and Caleb came back and they were singing a different song. They were singing, yes, we see the challenges. Yes, we see the difficulties. We see the enemies. But God will give us strength. We can take the land. If you're going to have a different spirit, you're going to have to see things differently. You're going to have to see through the eyes of faith. That's not always easy. Because the challenges many times are so great in front of us that to see God moving in them requires uh, some imagination. (laughs) But you know what the good news is? That we serve a God that as much as we can imagine that His truth is even beyond that. As much as we can ask or think or even imagine, His ways are higher than that. Can you see what God's trying to do? These ten spies they saw in the natural. Caleb could see what God was able to do in the spirit, supernatural realm. Second thing about Caleb is that he was a man of faith. Numbers 13.30, listen to what Caleb, uh, his actions before the rest of the people. Numbers 13, verse 30, Caleb quieted the crowd before the Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Come on, somebody. Let us go up at once. We don't need to wait. We don't need to prepare. We don't need to make battle plans. Let's go now. I love him. God, give us 10 men like Caleb. Pastor, we don't need to wait till 2025. Let's go on outreach today. Let's believe God now. We can take the land. Numbers 14.9. Caleb encouraged the people. 
Do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land. They are our bread. What do you do with bread? You eat it. It cannot fight against you. Unless it's got those really sharp corners on the top. (laughs) They are our bread. Their protection has departed, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Caleb was a man of faith. Faith is able to see the victory, even while you're being defeated right now. Faith is able to speak a good report even when everyone else is speaking a bad one. Faith can see with the eyes of God while everybody else is seeing with the eyes of their flesh. Do you have faith this morning? The third thing about Caleb is that he is a man of perseverance. And what I mean by that is it's not just faith for a moment, but it's faith for a lifetime. Whether we see him early on in his life, after the time that they come out of Egypt, or whether we see him later on in life, the Bible said that he was 80 years old. He said, give me this mountain. That that did not change. He said, I feel the same today as I did 40 years ago. Maybe not physically, but in his faith, in his confidence to do what God had called him to do. Different tasks at different times, different seasons of life. But here's a man who perseveres because he can see what God does. The, the, true test, the true test of your faith is the test of time. I'm not interested in shooting stars. I'm interested in those who will set their face before the Lord and say, God, I need your help again today. Again today. And in 40 more years, again, Lord, I need your help today. The kingdom of God does not need sprinters. The kingdom of God needs marathon runners to go the distance. Which one are you? Number four, he's a man of encouragement. What I love about when he came back to give his good report, uh, (laughs) the Bible said that he gives, he and Joshua, they give this good report. We can take the land. Let's do it, guys. Come on. And the Bible says they all rose up to try to stone him to death. Say, you better shut up. We're going to kill you, Caleb, because we don't want to hear your good report. We'd rather be comfortable in our fears. Isn't that weird? See, the the community of unbelievers, this remember, this is in the congregation of faith, so-called people of God, that in that congregation, they wanted to kill and stone the two people who were speaking confidence and courage. But he is able to encourage them. And so what do we find in Caleb here? That you and I are going to have to be willing to encourage others even when they're trying to kill you. (laughs) Can you do that for your family? When all seems lost, when faith seems like it's gone, when you don't see the way out? Can Can you still say, let's believe God. Encourage one another. To encourage means to put courage in. That's what Caleb was. Number five, he was a man of loyalty. You know, Caleb was not the leader of the people of Israel. He was a leader, but he was not the leader. He supported Moses. Joshua 14, if you read it, he he supported Moses. And then when Moses handed off leadership to Joshua, then Caleb supported Joshua. He supported these men. He was loyal to them to those that God had put over him in the authority of the kingdom. Now, which is amazing because, you know, Moses was not a perfect man. Moses lost his temper a few times. In fact, 
One time he lost his temper so bad he struck the rock. And God said, for that, Moses, you're not going to go in. I'm sorry. You're not going to go into the promised land. You're not going to see it. You'll see it from afar. But you're not going to go in, Moses. And so here's Caleb. Can you imagine what that was like? That here's Caleb. He's walking into the promised land remembering that the one that he had been loyal to is not entering in with him. And what I get from that is, you know, we, the, God is paying attention how we treat those in authority over us. He pays attention to that. Caleb supported Moses. He supported Joshua. He was there for them, even when they were making a few mistakes along the way. Number six, Caleb was a man of war. He knew how to fight. You know, the kingdom needs a few men of violence. And I'm not talking about killing people in the same way. Don't, uh, don't take my words incorrectly. But what the kingdom of God often needs is men who are capable of doing war for the kingdom. Joshua 14.10, Behold, the Lord has kept me alive these 45 years since the Lord spoke this word to Moses when Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now here I am, 85 years old, and I am strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me, just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for what? For war! For both going out and coming in. Therefore, give me this mountain. You know, Man, take it easy, Caleb. Go fishing or something. Take, it, take a break, bro. 85 years old. But here he is rallying the troops. Let's go, boys. I can take this mountain. We can take down a few giants. He knows what it means. He's, he's not afraid of the enemies. Why? When you fear God, you don't have to fear anybody else. But when you fear others, you'll never be afraid of God. He said the hardest place, the biggest giants, the most difficult circumstances, I'll take them on. 85 years old. I love it. And finally, Caleb is a man of blessing. It said in our scripture that his descendants shall inherit it after him. See, Caleb is not doing this for himself. He's thinking about his, his sons, his daughters, his children and his grandchildren. And the generations that come after him. He is thinking about the future. He gave away his own life so that his descendants could inherit. What are you living for this morning? If we are going to be people of faith and vision, we're going to be people with a different spirit. We've got to think more than just about the challenges of today. Somebody's following in your footsteps. If you have children of your own, obviously your children are watching you. What kind of life you live. They're going to make decisions, not based on what you say, but based on what you do. That's how we learn, li- learn lessons of life. But also in the spiritual sense, in the kingdom, we have spiritual offspring. Paul had a son in the faith named Timothy. And Timothy followed in the footsteps of the Apostle Paul. That God, if the Lord tarries, God will bring people into the congregation. Uh, they'll be saved and they'll be added to the kingdom and they need somebody look to, to, to watch as an example. That's our spiritual offspring, the fruit of our lives. My prayer is that we're not just living to be a blessing to ourselves and that we have, oh man, we have some good services and oh, we have some good cookouts, hallelujah. And we get to fill our bellies and have a good service and hear some nice preaching and we get to walk away feeling blessed. But you know what? Uh, what about 20 years from now? Who's going to be preaching then? Who's going to be filling these seats 
50 years from now. Our lives ought to be looking forward, as Caleb did, to bless future generations. And the way that we do that, church, is we've got to have a different spirit. We've got to pray, Lord, I'm not, uh, I'm not satisfied in doing what everybody else is doing. I need to find a different spirit, a spirit of incredible faith. It's rare. Oh, but when it is found, I want to tell you, can move mountains. Let's bow our heads this morning. We'll close our eyes as we bring the service to a close. And I do thank you for your patience and for your attention this morning. God's speaking to hearts. Thank you for listening to this episode of the VBPH Sermon Podcast. When you listen to these inspiring messages, you are helping to send missionaries from the Chandler Bible Conference in September. If you loved what you heard, please send this message to someone that needs to hear it. Then leave us a review using the links in the show notes so that everyone who wants to find this podcast will see it when they search for it. We cannot thank you enough. See you next time.